Joining us today on the Dialogos Radio and the Dialogos Interview Series is Dr. Jack Rasmus, Professor of Economics and Politics at St. Mary's College in California, economic analyst and author of such books as Obama's Economy, Recovery for the Few, Epic Recession, Prelude to Global Depression, Systemic Fragility in the Global Economy, and his most recent book, Looting Greece. Dr. Rasmus, thank you for joining us today. My pleasure. Recently, Greek Prime Minister Alexis Tsipras gave his annual State of the Nation address at the Thessaloniki Trade Fair, a speech in which he boasted that the Greek economy has turned the corner, that unemployment is going down, that salaries will be increased, and that the country is returning to growth. Is this what Greece's economic indicators actually show? Well, no, not quite. Greece's debt is still the same as it was uh, in 2011, roughly almost 180% of GDP. Unemployment has come down uh, since the last debt deal a year ago uh, by only 3 or 4%. Instead of 27%, it's about 23-24 now. I, I wouldn't call that a recovery. 23-24% uh, unemployment, that's, that's depression-level uh, unemployment. Uh, all the other indicators in the economy um, you know, are kind of flat. Or, or declining. So I don't see uh, anywhere that Greece is, is really, uh, quote, recovering, uh, and neither really is the entire Eurozone economy. It's been uh, bouncing along the bottom. As I said in my book, Systemic Fragility, in the chapter on Europe, it's a, it's a case of chronic stagnation. Uh, they might grow a little uh, half percent, one percent above GDP. Most of that as a result of Germany's growth, uh, or then it flattens out or um, is below. Most of the periphery economies in Europe are, are stagnant or in, in a recession as they have been for quite some time. So uh, uh, it's really a stretch to say that Greece is recovering. Uh, and as far as raising uh, wages uh, are concerned, um, Greece cannot raise, uh, at least on the public sector, any, any uh, wages without the approval of the uh, Troika. Uh, as far as the private sector uh, raises uh, uh, wage increases, uh, that's very mixed, depends on the industry and the sector. But I, I think it's uh, really a, a real stretch to say that Greece is recovering. It's, it's kind of moving sideways, you might say, uh, sideways in the condition of uh, still uh, chronic depression, economic depression. One of the perceptions that has been prevalent in global public opinion with regard to the economic crisis in Greece is that the country has been, quote, bailed out with billions upon billions of euros in free money. Is this really the case? And where has the so-called bailout money towards Greece actually gone? Well, countries don't get bailed out. Governments, banks, and uh, businesses, and sometimes, uh, though not as frequently, uh, households get bailed out. So the question is, who got bailed out here in these last three uh, bailouts? Uh, debt restructuring deals, 2010, 12, and 15, and a little bit, uh, 15 and a half here this past spring. The banks got bailed out several times here. Foreign investors, speculators uh, in Greek bonds and other other securities uh, clearly got bailed out in 2012, and in each case as well. If you look at where the money has gone, you know, there's over $400 billion in debt still in Greece that they have to pay off with an economy that's uh, less than half that size, so it's impossible. Uh, but where has all this money gone? Um, recent studies by the uh, European School of Management and Technology documenting at least the 2010 and 12 bailouts indicate that 95% of all the loans uh, to the Greek government quote, to bail out the Greek government, which then bailed out the Greek banks, 95% uh, of that went back to uh, Northern Europe, 
you know, mostly uh, to the German banks and uh, Northern Europe banks that had loaned so much money to Greece and to the Troika, uh, particularly the European Commission that then uh, distributes it to uh, the banking system and investors in turn. The European Commission is, is the big debtor here and to some extent the European Central Bank and to a minor extent now the IMF. So uh, 95% of all the money loaned to Greece went right back to the northern or other other areas in, in Germany and Europe, and uh, less than 5% of that actually uh, went into the Greek economy. So uh, who's being bailed out? Well, it, it's the, it's a flow of uh, bailing out or attempting to prevent the further collapse of uh, the European banking system, which is in very shaky state right now. Greece has been uh, subsidizing the financial system elsewhere in Europe, as I explain in my uh, analysis. Much has been said about the Greek public debt, its sustainability, and indeed even its legitimacy. In your view, what needs to be done about the Greek debt? You might say what needs to be done about uh, debt throughout the Eurozone, because it's not just Greece. Greece is, is perhaps the most serious case, but uh, as we know, uh, other places in the periphery of Europe still heavily indebted, not just the governments, but the banking system as well. You cannot sustain with austerity measures designed to pay the interest in principle and debt. You cannot sustain 400 plus billion dollars in debt based on an economy that's growing less than 200 billion dollars. It's not possible. And even the IMF has, has uh, come to uh, that conclusion and is um, maneuvering with the other Troika members, the EC, on that particular point. It's totally unsustainable. It, it can't be uh, paid. Now, is it legitimate? Well, you got to understand the origins of this debt. It was originally private sector debt that was created as a result of the creation of the Eurozone in 1999, and uh, the European Central Bank as part of that, that creation, and other elements of the Eurozone agreements, uh, particularly uh, what was called a Lisbon strategy here that uh, Germany adopted. And Germany and other Northern Europe businesses and bankers pumped money capital into the periphery, including Greece, from 2005 afterwards, and uh, Germany had a strong competitive advantage in exports. So a lot of the money capital was pumped into the periphery, including Greece, in order to purchase uh, German and other exports. So the money just went in and circulated around, leaving a pile of private sector debt uh, in Greece, Italy, and other places. Then we had the crash of 2008-9, and the debt could not be uh, repaid, and uh, in steps uh, the, the Troika to uh, loan the governments, Greece and others, uh, money in order to continue to bail out the private sector and and enable the repayment of the private debt. So it starts out as private debt because of this great imbalance in exports within the Eurozone. And, and then that gets converted to government debt. And then the big crash of 2008-9 adds even more debt. And then you have the uh, recession of 2011-13 in the Eurozone and the 2012 bailout, which piled more debt to in order to pay the old debt. And then in 15, the same thing. You see, so the Troika is piling more debt on Greece in order for Greece to continue to pay the previous debt. And that's, that's totally unsustainable. You can't go on that way. Uh, and they're going to have to... Um, uh, expunge some of that debt. It's impossible. But of course, the Germans, Wolfgang uh, Schäuble and the coalition in the north does not want to allow that. Uh, and they don't really want to change the Eurozone because the Eurozone, while very imbalanced for the periphery, uh, has benefited Germany significantly. So they don't want to change anything. And they dominate the finance minister's council there in the European Commission. And they dominate the central bank, the European uh, uh, Central Bank. And uh, they're just keeping the situation the way it is because 
because uh, it's profitable for them that way. We are speaking with Dr. Jack Rasmus, Professor of Economics and Politics at St. Mary's College here on the Alagos Radio and the Alagos Interview Series. And Dr. Rasmus, you have argued that Greece must nationalize its banking system. And this argument runs contrary to what has been done by the current government and by previous governments in Greece, which have repeatedly bailed out and recapitalized the Greek banking system. Why must Greek banks be nationalized in your view? Look at every debt uh, negotiations in 2010, 12, and 15. What happened was uh, the ECB, European Central Bank, which uh, pretty much controls the uh, Greek Central Bank, Greek Central Bank just an appendage of it. Uh, the European Central Bank is just a council of central banks dominated by the Bundesbank and its allies in Eastern Europe. So they they have control pretty much. Once in a while they lose lose a vote, but they pretty much control it. And uh, what you saw in negotiations, as I described in great detail, step by step in my book in 2015, what you see was the European Central Bank putting the screws to uh, the Greek economy and uh, Syriza uh, collapsing in agreeing each time those screws were tightened by the uh, ECB through the Greek Central Bank, bringing the economy to a halt. They couldn't deal with the uh, squeeze on the economy by the European Central Bank and the Greek Central Bank, which is just uh, an appendage of the ECB. And uh, they brought step-by-step bringing the economy to a halt, squeezing it, and of course not releasing loans that they had uh, agreed to provide Greece under previous agreements as well. Uh, So it was an economic squeeze that, you know, Syriza did not have a strategy to really to deal with that and eventually capitulated and and collapsed as the economy was getting getting worse. So you got to nationalize, make the Greek central bank and the banking systems independent of the ECB gain control over your economy once again, and that is one of several key steps. We can talk about other steps to prevent the squeeze every time you uh, attempt to renegotiate the debt or restructure the debt. Without an independent Greek people-controlled banking system, the Eurozone troika will um, squeeze and and bring Greece to its knees every time. And that's, we've seen that three times that that has happened. So you got to nationalize that banking system, including the central bank. Or if you want to just leave the central bank as part of the ECB structure, go ahead, but create an independent central bank authority somewhere else in the Greek government. Treasury Department. Well, in the U.S., we have what we call the Treasury Department. And uh, there is precedent for that. Uh, In the U.S., like during the Great Depression, uh, the U.S. Central Bank had screwed up badly. And uh, FDR Roosevelt took over and pretty much had his Treasury Department uh, run the monetary policy, you see. So uh, Greece would have to set up a parallel central bank in its finance uh, sector, whatever, and pretty much uh, isolate and bypass uh, the influence of the ECB through the Greek central bank. Of course, you would have to create a parallel currency. We can talk about that as well uh, as part of all this and impose serious uh, controls on bank withdrawals and capital flows outside the country, which uh, Syriza did not really do. Uh, because uh, the ECB and Troika was not in favor of it, you see. And when you have all the capital, uh, bank withdrawals and capital flight, uh, that's another way of squeezing the economy economically. The current government in Greece has been continuing a policy of massive privatizations of valuable Greek public assets, with profitable airports and harbors having been privatized in the past year, in addition to the recent sell-off of the Greek National Railroad for a total of 45 million euros. What is the short and long-term impact of the privatization of such key national assets? 
Well, the short term is that when you know, you, you nationalize them under the uh, aegis and management control of uh, the Troika, overseeing all this, of course. You know, Troika has a lot of representatives in Greece now looking over everybody's shoulder, ensuring that they do it the way the Troika wants particularly European Commission. The, the short term of this is that the profits, if you sell below market prices, which a lot of these government assets, public goods assets are being sold, that's profit on the sale for uh, the investors who are bu buying up these assets, for example. But once the assets are in private hands, you know, where, where does the revenue go? Where does the money flow go? Does it go back into Greece or does it go back to uh, the pockets of the investors and the corporations and the banks outside Greece that are buying it up? Well, it goes out. It's a, it's a, capital, it's a form of capital flight. Money uh, that is needed in Greece uh, flows out of Greece. Just like the austerity uh, in general is imposed to enable the payment of interest and principal on the debt, uh, well, that is money flow out of Greece as well. As I argue in the concluding chapter of my book, this, this is a new form of uh, financial imperialism, a wealth extraction, in other words, from the country that is being structured and managed on a state-to-state -state basis not an individual company. It's not 19th century British imperialism, you know, where they set up a factory in India, pay them low wages and, and bring the textiles back to uh, London and, and resell at a higher price and so forth. It's not that kind of production imperialism. This is financial imperialism uh, imposed on Greece. And it's a new form that's emerging everywhere where you indebt the country and then you force the country to uh, engage in austerity in order to pay the, the principal and interest on the debt. Uh, and you extract the income from the country, wealth extraction. Privatizations are, are another form of that, right? You privatize the uh, public goods and uh, you get it at fire sale prices uh, if you're an outsider. And then the income flows from you know the fees and whatever from those assets flow back to uh, the coffers of the private companies or the banks or whoever outside of Greece. And that's the problem. That's that's one of the consequences. The other consequence is when you privatize it, they come in and they cut costs, which means they lay off people in mass numbers and they you know hold down wages and they get rid of benefits and they do everything else uh, for labor cost controls to maximize their, their revenue and uh, you know what they get to keep, uh, so that's an immediate consequence as well. And and finally, at longer term, it it means that Greece has less control over its uh, own economy. Uh, if it can't control its infrastructure, and if everything is owned by foreigners, then um, you can't influence it uh, as much. And uh, if you're part of the eurozone, you're, you're legally prohibited from what you can do to make sure that these foreign-owned uh, infrastructure companies now are uh, behaving uh, in terms of uh, the benefit for the public sector for, for the rest of Greece. So that's the short and long term, few major points. Looking beyond just the case of Greece, you have argued in your book, Systemic Fragility in the Global Economy, that there are nine major trends which account for the economic troubles that are seen on a global scale. What are some of these trends? Yes. Well, you know, everywhere we see, uh, particularly since 2008, we see uh, central banks, monetary policy to the ascendant here. And that means uh, creating money, uh, pumping it in into the economy to bail out the financial systems, the financial institutions, the banks and the shadow banks that I talk about in great detail. Shadow banks, you know, meaning speculators, you know, like hedge funds, private equity firm, uh, firms, uh, asset management companies and so forth. Bail them out. That's the whole thing. And we, we see a massive money bailout 
about uh, tens of trillions of dollars here since 2008. Well, all that liquidity injection into the economy has driven interest rates down to zero or even in Europe and, and Japan and other places, negative rates. And that, of course, fuels debt. With rates that cheap, corporations and businesses just uh, float new corporate bonds and they use the money uh, not to invest necessarily. They use it to uh, buy back their stock and uh, you know drive up the stock prices and pay out dividends or they sit on it, they hoard it, uh, or they send it to emerging markets, you see. That's a problem everywhere. And, and that's the result of massive liquidity injections, which have been really escalating since the 1980s when they eliminated everywhere controls on international capital flows. And, uh, in the 70s, when the Bretton Woods system collapsed and central banks took over, the combination of those have, has led to the financialization uh, of the global economy in the 21st century, where profits are far greater for investing and speculating in financial securities than they are in investing in real assets and real things that create real jobs and real income and real consumption, you see. We're becoming de dependent on debt more and more. The economy is debt-driven, credit debt-driven more and more, and that's a result of this massive liquidity injection. And it also leads to a shift from real asset investment, you know, investing in real things that create jobs that people need, and uh, a shift towards financial asset investment. But that means that real investment declines slowly over time and productivity collapses over time as well. And we're seeing that happening everywhere uh, to different speeds and different degrees. And that's a major point that I argued about. So uh, in my book, Systemic Fragility, this financialization of the global economy based on uh, liquidity and debt and uh, squeezing out, it's kind of diverting money capital from real investment uh, into financial speculation. And you've got to understand what's going on in Greece is a concrete expression of this, the reliance on financial uh, means and financial manipulation, because that's what's happening in Greece and the periphery. Uh, the periphery in the Eurozone is at a great disadvantage to Germany and others, and they're being manipulated financially. Uh, all the, the payments on interest in the debt flowing back to the north, 95%, is really subsidizing uh, German and other banks in the north, you know. This is all flowing through the EC to the private sector, and it's a nice constant money capital flow from interest payments and privatization and speculation on government bonds and securities and stocks in these countries as, as the volatility occurs. It's a reflection in Greece of what's happening on a broader scale, I would say, elsewhere in the global economy. And that's why we haven't seen much of a recovery in the global economy. Global trade is stagnant and real investment everywhere is drifting towards zero. Productivity is negative everywhere almost, even in the U.S. And we're seeing growth rates of barely 1%, 1.5% at best, which should be double that. And we see these growing non-performing bank loans almost two trillion maybe in in Europe worst is Italy with 400 billion about uh, but we see uh, the same thing in in Japan trillions in, in negative bank loans in in, in China uh, negative interest rates rather and non-performing bank loans so we're becoming more systemically fragile financially because of this shift to financial speculation we are on the air with dr. Jack Rasmus professor of economics and politics at st. Mary's College here on the Alagos radio and the Alagos interview series and dr. Rasmus looking at Europe there are increasing warning signs across all sorts of major economic institutions ranging from Deutsche Bank to the Italian banking system what is your outlook for the eurozone economy and for the difficulties that it is currently facing 
Well, the, the euro banking system has never fully recovered from the 2008-9 crash, you see. It's being bailed out. Uh, as I described, the ECB is pumping money in, into the banking system in various ways, long-term refinancing options and you know all the bailout funds and so forth, and QE, quantitative easing, and negative interest rates and so forth. They're desperately pumping money into the banking system, but the banks aren't really lending, uh, lending at least to those businesses that would reinvest in real assets to create jobs and things and so forth. It's far more profitable to make money now, investors make money from financial speculation uh, than they do from uh, investing long term and uh, expecting to get uh, a return you know, over 10, 20 years for the investment in a real company that creates real things. Uh, so the, the, the banking system is uh, has not really recovered in Europe and we can see the strains now with the non-performing loans in particular in, in Italy. Of course, we know the situation of non-performing uh, bank loans in Greece. Uh, Portugal is in bad shape as well in terms of non-performing loans. And now we see, uh, you know, even places like Deutsche Bank and others beginning to feel the strain and the further impact on the euro banking system of Brexit. Uh, a lot more uncertainty and so forth as a result of Brexit. British leaving the, uh, even though they're not part of the Eurozone. So uh, a lot of uncertainty and a lot of fragility. And after eight years, no real recovery, the banking system, uh, even though it's been bailed out. In other words, the central banks have pumped trillions into the private banking system. But the problem is, you know, the private banks are either hoarding the cash, they won't invest in, uh, you know, real growth, or they're sending their money offshore to emerging markets, at least for a while they were. China and so forth, you know, or they're using it as in the U.S. Uh, to buy, you know, to buy back stock and pay out dividends and loaning money to companies uh, to do just that. The system is uh, has changed dramatically uh, in ways the global economy and global financial system uh, that makes it much more fragile than it's ever been before, uh, and a lot of debt has been building up everywhere. Uh, over $50 trillion in additional debt has occurred since 2009. And when the next recession comes, how are they going to pay that debt is the question. When times are, are stable or growing, uh, you can add debt without a great crisis uh, emerging. But when you have a recession or a downturn that's significant, where are you going to get the money capital to pay the uh, principal and interest on the debt? Well, then, then you start seeing defaults. And then you see financial asset uh, price collapses going on. And now you're back in 2008-9. Well, that's the picture of the global economy. In other words, uh, Europe and European banks are a fragile point globally, uh, just as Japanese banks are and just as the China banks are, although most of the China banks are nationalized. I'm talking about the shadow banks in China and different places in emerging markets. Those uh, countries dependent on commodity exports, particularly oil, uh, they're, they're in a very fragile condition as well. Do you believe that Italy will be the first domino to fall as far as departure from the Eurozone? No, I don't believe Italy will depart the Eurozone, although you uh, you, you never know. We'll see what the vote here is uh, in October, right? I predict uh, the government won't get the vote it wants, I think. It's about a 50-50 chance. So um, I don't see Italy doing. Italy is too dependent on the Eurozone, central bank and so forth, to keep its banking system afloat. Uh, I don't see that, that they will exit. What happens next spring is going to be more important with elections in Germany and in France. And it's quite possible, not impossible at least, uh, you know, that the National Front, which is called for a, a referendum, may prevail in those elections uh, in France. Uh, I think that is more of an important development than, than Italy. 
We are speaking with Dr. Jack Rasmus, Professor of Economics and Politics at St. Mary's College here on the Alagos Radio and in the Alagos Interview Series. And Dr. Rasmus, turning back to the case of Greece, what do you believe would be the best policy option and what would be the steps for Greece to follow, in your view, in order to escape the spiral of economic depression and austerity? Do you believe, for instance, that a year's own exit is the solution? You mentioned earlier the imposition of a parallel currency, for instance. Syriza made it clear from the beginning when it came into power it was not in favor of Grexit, Greek exit, and has always maintained that position. A unprepared, just uh, we're leaving the Eurozone and in the Euro kind of a decision would cause a, a collapse of values, particularly those who have investments and some savings in uh, in Greece. A lot of that, those savings are, uh, you know, outside the country now. You know, to some extent, Syriza was caught between a rock and a hard place here. They couldn't uh, or didn't want to advocate an exit, uh, and at least those who had investments didn't want it because of the potential effect on their investments. But the, the broader Greek populace thinks uh, still that uh, to be European, you have to be in the Eurozone. Well, that's a big mistake, I think. But as far as Grexit, you know, uh, just a pure exit, no, I don't think that would do it. I think what Greece should have done, what Syriza should have done, is uh, to create uh, a parallel currency and to take over its banking system. In other words, make the banking system, as I said before, truly independent, including the central bank, Greek central bank. And if that was not possible, bypass the Greek central bank, set up a central banking function in the finance ministry, as uh, the U.S. has done at different times, and create a parallel currency and policies uh, and programs to get people to convert their euros into the parallel currency. You see, maybe uh, declare that uh, henceforth all taxes the Greek government will be paid with the uh, parallel currency, and that means people would then uh, trade in their euros for the parallel currency in order to pay their taxes. Uh, and other measures you could do to strengthen the, the value of, of the within Greece of the parallel currency and, and lower the value uh, of the euro and tell the uh, troika, okay, uh, we're going to pay you in your euros, but if we run out of euros here as a result of the conversion, well then tough luck. We don't have any any way of paying you. Let's negotiate a final deal where you expunge some of it and we pay you off and we go our separate ways. And of course, you'd have to create significant capital flow controls, which has always been a problem. Every time there's a crisis, the money flows out of Greece. So uh, an independent banking system plus a, a parallel currency plus strict capital outflow controls and in steps, step by step, take the economy out of the control of the Troika uh, without a formal exit. That could have been done, but for some reason, Syriza and its uh, finance uh, advisors either didn't want to do that or didn't know how to do that. Arguments that have been heard against the imposition of a parallel currency include the argument that the existence of two currencies would create a situation where there would be haves and have-nots between those who would have a stronger hard currency in their hands compared to those who would have a weaker, devalued domestic currency in their hands. How do you respond to this argument? Yes, well, uh, just as I said uh, a while ago, there are policies and approaches you can take that entice and require people to convert their euros into the new currency. That would raise the demand uh, and therefore the value, the price of the new currency. Uh, if you just had the currency and you didn't have this uh, forced trade in, then of course, you know, you would have haves and have nots and the, the new currency would collapse and pretty soon no one would want to use it. But for example, by saying uh, taxes could only be 
created a new currency would force people who had uh, corporations and businesses and so forth would force them to purchase the new currency with the euro. It would undermine the value of the euro in Greece and it would raise the value of the new currency in Greece as well. That might set off a parallel elsewhere in the eurozone of other countries thinking about the same thing, which would undermine the value of the euro and would put the squeeze on the troika for once. You see, the Greece uh, never put the squeeze on the troika. It was just the opposite in all of these uh, negotiations, debt negotiations that, that occurred. Uh, they, they never never really uh, hurt the troika in negotiations. And, and that's the only way you're, you know, you really prevail in negotiations. You've you got to make it unpleasant for the opposition. So it never did that, you see. They, they just played along and according to the rules of the troika and uh, made concession after concession in 2015. And they thought, a thought, Tsipras and others thought that their example would, would uh, strike a, a, a spark elsewhere uh, in Europe of other social democratic forces and movements and even governments in Europe, like France and so forth, they thought that they would uh, get the rest of the social democracy behind them and that they would reform together, they would reform the entire Eurozone. Well, that was a fiction. That was fantasy, a fantasy thought <laughs> on the part of uh, Zipras and others. But that was the core of their whole strategy. You know, let's, let's get the Social Democrats and the European Commission on our side, you know, and, and let's get Hollande and others on our side, uh, and together we can create a new uh, infrastructure and investment and some of that would come to Greece and that would help us grow out of our debt and so forth. But that was a fantasy. European social democracy is, is a dying force throughout Europe. And that's why you see the growth on the fringes of, uh, you know, both the right and the left of other parties, because Euro social democracy has abandoned its role in Europe. And you see the polarization going on. Tsipras's problem was that he thought that they could, and Varoufakis as well, they thought that they could uh, get all these liberal elements behind them and together they would have enough weight to force Wolfgang Schäuble and the other finance ministers uh, to make concessions. Well, Schäuble and, and the other uh, ministers, you know, the German faction, the German coalition, as I call it, within the finance minister council in the European Commission, uh, remained dominant uh, at every every step along the way whenever Syriza and its few allies uh, tried to make uh, a, a compromise uh, where some concessions were made to them, you know, the German faction and coalition just squelched it. And we saw that, for example, uh, at the very end when you, you just had the uh, the vote, the referendum vote in, in July of 2015. We saw that very clearly there. You know, Greece has the vote and the vote says go back and negotiate a better deal for us. And uh, what does Tsipras do? Uh, he totally caves in uh, to Schäuble, the Schäuble faction and so forth. And then the Schäuble faction says, uh, well, you know, the offer we made last week is off the table. You're going to have to now accept an even worse one. <laughs> so they were really putting the screws to uh, uh, Syriza, and Syriza looked to its allies in the European Commission, and uh, they totally caved in as well. And they said, well, you know, okay, you know, this is the fact. We can't really influence the Germans here, I guess, so you'll have to accept something worse. Uh, and then it was just a rearguard action, uh, things getting worse and worse, until you had the uh, final debt agreement on August 20th. So if you look at the actual development, which I describe in great detail, step by step, from January 2015, actually through the uh, the renewed parliamentary elections there in, in September of, of 2015, it was just a step by step retreat because Syriza had the wrong strategy and would not engage in certain tactics that were necessary. Uh, of course, the Troika itself had, had a lot of cards to play. It would have been an uphill fight for Syriza anyway, the time when they might have really been able 
to strike some concessions from the Troika was 2012, but, you know, new democracy was totally in the pocket of the Troika, so that was impossible. And we've had a retreat ever since, you know. I've written about what happened in this past spring with the secret discussions on the IMF with the Troika here to bring to a head more concessions and more debt imposed on Greece, which before the July debt payments came due in Greece, because the IMF and the Troika were worried about a Brexit, what impact that might have on renewing Grixit. So they put the screws to Greece again in the spring and uh, raised the debt even more, austerity even more. And I think another round of that is coming because the IMF wants out of the Troika deal. And uh, we'll see what happens here with the IMF meeting. But they haven't endorsed even the 2015 agreement, you see, because they know it's unsustainable, the debt's unsustainable. And I believe the IMF is maneuvering to have the EC buy out its version of the debt. And once that happens, the EC uh, European Commission will demand even more austerity from Greece. In the event that a parallel currency is successfully implemented and steps are taken to maintain or even strengthen its value, could that be a prelude to a switch to a national domestic currency? Well, yes. At some point, one currency will become dominant, okay? You you can't have two equal currencies like that. And uh, as people use uh, the one currency versus the other one, you know, another advantage of the new currency is that it will initially start out of less value than the euro. And that will be, uh, you know, use that as the trading currency. And uh, that will stimulate uh, Greek exports to elsewhere outside the eurozone. Part of the problem is uh, the periphery in Europe is so dependent on exports and imports to Germany and the north that it can't really engage in its own independent export strategy without uh, cutting wages. You see, uh, throughout Europe, you have what's called internal devaluation going on. When you are uh, stuck with a currency and someone else's central bank, the ECB and the euro, you can't really uh, engage in independent monetary policy to stimulate your economy and you can't engage in and uh, lowering your uh, uh, currency in order to gain some advantage in exports, you're stuck. And only the most powerful country that has the lowest cost, that's most efficient and lowest cost, is able to take advantage of uh, global exports using the currency that it has, and that's Germany. The weaker economies in the periphery will always be at a disadvantage uh, to Germany relatively uh, when it comes to trying to uh, push their exports anywhere else outside the Eurozone. That's the lesson here. The lesson is that you've got a 1999 agreement in which you have this quasi-central bank, you see and you have this currency, and that arrangement significantly benefits the most efficient low-cost producer, which is Germany, at the expense of the periphery and those that are less efficient and low-cost. So and until you have a true central bank and a fiscal union to some extent that will pump the money into the periphery to help it grow when it doesn't, you will always have the situation you have in Europe right now. I mean, compare that to the United States, where there's a fiscal union, so that if certain states have uh, economic problems, you know, like the oil patch or something uh, happens, or agriculture has a problem or something, uh, the federal government can pump the money into those specific locations. Uh, but if you don't have a true federal government and fiscal union, uh, you can't do that. And if your central bank is dominated by the largest economy, Germany, uh, well, even the monetary policy has no effect. And, and if it's a currency, uh, single currency, it's to the advantage of the stronger economy at the disadvantage of the weaker. So the, the whole Eurozone economy is structured to uh, emphasize the growth of the stronger economies at the expense of the weaker. And that's not going to change. It's built into the Eurozone.
cannot create a currency union and a customs union without a true banking union and fiscal union. And they're finding that out. And more and more countries within the Eurozone are beginning to come to that conclusion. But uh, it was foreordained. People knew this. Economists knew this uh, from the very beginning. And that's the kind of tragedy. You know, Greece has tied its, uh, its tail to the Eurozone dominated by Germany and it can never get out of this, this situation as long as Germany dominates the institution, which it, institutions, which it does, because the whole arrangement is great for Germany, you see? <laughs> That's why you don't want to change anything. To wrap up, share with us a few words about your most recent book, Looting Greece, published by Clarity Press. What can readers expect to find in your book, and where can our listeners find out more about your books and your writings? Right. Well, uh, they can go to my blog, which is just jackrasmus.com. J-A-C-K-R-A-S-M-U-S dot com. And, and on the sidebar, there is a photo of the jacket of the book, Looting Greece, there, or uh, uh, the publisher Clarity Press, uh, which is located in the U.S. So it's all available there. So is my uh, Systemic Fragility in the Global Economy book published earlier this year, which is really an overview of the total global economy and this whole financialization thing that I talked about recently. The Greek book is really a kind of a case study of the consequences of financialization and uh, globalization and integration, which is occurring. You know, I argue that there is this phenomenon of the smaller economies being tied into the larger economies through all this uh, trade agreements, free trade agreements, and the free trade agreements lead to currency uh, unions, and the currency unions lead to banking unions, and uh, then you got the situation like Greece and, and the Euro periphery and, and the problems associated with that. Uh, but the book Looting Greece is really uh, also a historical look at the origins of the Greek debt that started uh, with 1999 with uh, the Eurozone, the adoption of the Euro by Greece, I think it was in 2002, and the consequences of all that and the historical, you know, how did this debt develop first in the private sector because of German export domination and then conversion of the private debt in 2008-9 to the public debt and uh, then, of course, the collapse in 8-9, which added to the government debt. And then you had the 2012 agreement where the private sector was bailed out and that added more debt and then 15 and so forth, you know, debt on debt to repay interest and principle of debt. So all this is described in uh, in great detail in the early chapters and then most of the book though is a step-by-step blow-by-blow of the negotiations between Syriza on the one hand and the Troika on the other hand uh, from January through spring of 2016 and what were the strategic and tactical errors of Syriza and what were the strategic and tactical moves by the Troika that, that enabled it to prevail uh, and then at the end, it's really about how this is a form of a new emerging financial and wealth extraction from small economies by the larger economies because of this globalization and integration arrangement that exists and the emergence of uh, of financial extraction and financial exploitation, which is going on more and more in the 20th century economy uh, and how central banks are feeding that all, which will lead to my next book, which is about uh, global central banks and uh, the problems they've created as, as we move to another crisis here, which I think is coming in the next five years. Well, Dr. Rasmus, thank you very much for joining us today here on the Adelos Radio and the Adelos Interview Series and for sharing your insights with us. Yes, and if anyone is interested, uh, you know, wants to ask me uh, additional questions about this, they can, uh, you know, just email me at uh, drjackrasmus at gmail. Wonderful. Well, Dr. Rasmus, thank you once again. Okay, my pleasure.